Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I am your co-host, a mortgage agent, as well as a real estate investor, and I am joined here by none other then Daniel Foch, Canada's favorite realtor. If he's not Canada's favorite realtor, you're my favorite realtor anyways. Actually, sorry, you know what? Should we start again? Because there's a lot of realtors listening to this. I don't want them to think that I, I think we're like good, honestly. As long okay, as you just give ahead. me one of those little <laughs> plaques to put in my office that says Nick Hill's favorite realtor. And I have to put like an asterisk <laughs> beside that in my advertising. You know, there, it's weird, man. There's like the, actually this industry. I've gotten some bad press for talking about this, but there's actually an industry where people sell awards to realtors in in well, everywhere in the world, right? So, and for only five hundred ninety nine dollars, you can be the first Canadian real estate podcast's favorite realtor. No, I'm kidding. We would never do anything like that. Anyways, we have got a whole bunch of stuff to get through today. So, what we like to do every now and then with this podcast is to pull a bunch of news articles, kind of the top things that are trending in the real estate and financing world across the country. There's a ton of stuff happening right now, so we thought now would be a good time to pull some of our favorite articles, read some excerpts to everyone, and talk about them. So we're going to be talking about why Toronto has seen a spike in bidding wars. Here's a hint. They're not really. We're going to be talking about Mr. Christie's Cookies, the water tower. If you're from the GTA, you've probably driven past this several times. We're going to be talking about that and other major developments across the country. Canada's population, which is setting new records, which ties in nicely to an episode, Where to Invest, an episode just a few ago where we talk about the migration within Canada and to Canada. And, you know, we finish the episode off here with probably not the greatest news, but some vital information. It looks like we're going to see more rate hikes. So, before we get into all that, Dan, how you been, man? I haven't seen you in a couple of days. I'm How's good. It going? We actually saw each other this morning. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but <laughs> we had a, we had oh, a cool yeah. meeting. Wow. You know, it's yeah. just been such a busy day that- <laughs> Yeah, I'm good, man. Actually, yeah. on the way home from that meeting, I got a call from Enbridge. So I had a locate. I ordered a locate on my property. So for those of you who don't know, a locate is basically where you get, they spray paint the locations of all of the buried lines on your property. So electrical, gas lines, et cetera. And apparently- one of the properties that I'm doing some work on has a what did they call it a critical main gas pipeline nearby and so Enbridge actually said that they want to see a site plan and are going to be monitoring I'm just putting up a fence by the way this isn't a major renovation I'm just putting up a fence and they want to make sure that I'm not going to hit this this natural gas pipeline so that that was really interesting from my perspective yeah you know I feel like that opens the door to kind of something that you and I talk about which is that like those other things that don't fall into the traditional buckets right. of investing like construction and planning and even just general kind of trade knowledge like you know I might have to deal with Enbridge if I want to have my if like when I had to deal with Enbridge as well when I got bats out of my attic because they had to do a disconnect from the house so little things like that and again this will kind of trickle into some of the other things we're talking about today such as development but it's just like our like our podfathers on on TCI say, you know, know the company that you're investing in, understand that industry that that company plays in. It's the same thing as real estate. Once you have figured out the basics of real estate investing, and if you've listened to a few of our episodes and you've heard the ones where we even talked to Sasha Kakuz, who's the CEO of Graybrook, you'll start to see that there's a lot of 
overlap and essentially it's the same principles. So once you figure out those principles, there's a lot more to learn in the construction, in the planning that'll all trickle back and help you with that investor mindset and those investors. Yeah, and I think skills. it's funny in the context of you wanting to share the the Mr. Christie article today because you know it like it makes sense to real estate development, but for people who are more, you know, small cap or just getting started out, they're like, why do I care about some massive multi-billion dollar development in a major urban area? But you know, as real estate investors, it's important to be a generalist in the real estate space. And you know, I can hear my father in the back of my head being like, just focus on one thing. <laughs> like, you know, and and look, I mean it's hard. and But for people who are serial entrepreneurs and who often are attracted to real estate investment, focusing on one thing is tough. And for me, I've found that the easy way to do that is to actually focus on one industry. And there's enough things within that industry to keep me entertained. So real estate's cool in that way because you can you know, become knowledgeable and almost like a jack of all trades in and generalistic in a lot of these different things, construction, urban planning, engineering. And as long as you have a little bit of base knowledge in a lot of those things, it can actually create a competitive advantage and save you money when you're hiring trades to advance deals for yourself. So that's why these things are important to think about. 100%. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And that actually is a good little segue into the meeting I totally forgot we had this morning, which was actually a great meeting. And just for anyone listening, it was with two listeners of the podcast. Dan and I are real people. We want to come and meet you guys. These two guys reached out. They own a few properties and they've got some really cool ideas, a great vision. And they're actually already doing the badass method. That is the B-A-D-A-S-S method that we coined, came up with, and talked about in episode 16. But yeah. Dan, why don't you go yeah, over so and refresh For those of you who don't remember, memory. the badass method is our response to the Burr method, which, you know, although it's cold in Canada, that's really <laughs> the only reason we should be saying Burr. Burrs don't... Actually, we did have a couple of listeners write in and say, you know, I've been doing the Burr method in X city in Canada. And, you know, it probably does work in a lot of cities in Canada, but we felt that it wasn't specific enough to be scalable coast to coast in Canada. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we felt it barely worked in the current market. And BADASS stands for buy, approvals, detached ADU, ADU or accessory dwelling unit, stabilize, and then sell the Blackstone, which is kind of a, just the joke at the end. But, <laughs> but it would probably be refinance or, I mean, who knows at this point. Yeah. And, you know, seeing them do that reminded me and, and a lot of the conversations we had this morning really showed the importance of planning and the knowledge base that you need around that that planning and municipal approvals because how many times Dan have we been reached out to by by listeners even before the podcast and it was I want to do this I want to build this I've got this great idea this great design this piece of property but if you're not zoned for it guess what your job just got a hell yeah, of a lot yeah and, and you know it's one of those big variables or I mean municipalities are are a big regulator of your ability to build value into a property you know, one of the biggest variables and one of the biggest regulators is the municipal government. Yeah. And they regulate what is called zoning. We've talked about this numerous times. I don't know if we've ever gone into no, great we'll detail, episode, but it, sure. it's fairly, yeah. I mean, high level, it's fairly self-explanatory. You Certain areas are zoned for certain things. If you notice, for instance, car dealerships are always kind of, you know, close together. You're not going to have a bunch of houses and then a car dealership. So zoning really determines what you can do with a property, how many units you can put on it, what kind of tenants you can have in it, and a number of other variables. Zoning is something that every investor should be aware of before they purchase yeah, that property. Yeah, and in much of the Canadian market, Vancouver sort of was where we first started seeing this, but especially now in many cases in Canada, 
one of the most common ways that we're seeing people increase density within these up zonings, we're calling them, or changes to the as of right or the rights that you have that you're able to do with your existing property is laneway suites and garden suites. So these are, I mean, everybody's heard of these now, I think, coast to coast. And I've seen some cool examples in Canadian cities, such as in Saskatoon, the Empress Laneway House, which was built in Saskatoon in 2015. In Calgary, there's a really cool one called the Withrow Laneway House, built and designed by Studio North, which is actually out of Toronto. And then in Quebec, La Petite Maison dans la cour or in the heart. Really cool. And this one's actually like a tiny house. So it goes along those principles, which is another kind of episode we were just talking about we really want to get into. And we're also starting to see reform on the policy side. So, you know, in Halifax, there was this case that came out recently in 2020, case 21162, secondary suites and backyard suites. So it says it right out there what their objective is with this planning. And in Moncton's community implementation plan for affordable housing, a collaborative plan for the Moncton community in April of 2019. So we're starting to see the, this is why planning matters, because if you can add a laneway suite, that's a new income stream that you can add to your property. Yeah. I mean, I think we've made our stance on laneway homes and garden homes pretty apparent over our last 27 episodes. We love them. I, and sorry, we are are super bullish on them. So anyways, these listeners that we, that we met with this morning, are trying to do exactly that. They've got a couple of great properties that they bought with the intention of building laneway suites on them, which is exactly what we should be doing. And that's there's a, we did a full episode about that buying with like the right intentions. So they came to us and they were looking for partners, whether it's financial partners, other landowners, other people that are looking to do this. And they're like, yeah, can you guys help us build this company out by either, you know, us getting involved or our other listeners getting involved. So that's what we're trying to do. We want to get as much exposure to this kind of stuff as possible. And we'd love to connect anyone listening with them if you're looking to get into the laneway housing market in Toronto. Okay. So let's get started with the first article here. Headline reads, this property just got 57 offers. Why is Toronto suddenly seeing a spike in bidding wars? <laughs> Warning, not clickbait. <laughs> There's a spoiler alert with this one. <laughs> the answer Uh-oh. to the question is Toronto isn't seeing a spike in bidding wars. I mean, <laughs> I think we've kind of reached the point where, you know, the summer went by and nobody was selling in volumes at 50%. I think it's like, you know, it's volumes the lowest it's been in 20 years or something like that. And listing volumes the same. Like, don't get me wrong. We are in a buyer's market now. We're starting to see that in, in the GTA market. And again, I know, you know, we two articles here we're pulling from Toronto. We do want to be coast to coast and really represent. We don't want to be those guys who are like Toronto's the center of the universe and whatever. But I want to reference something I've mentioned a couple of times here. I would say Toronto saw the price drops that front ran the market and it will likely see a recovery that front runs the market. So I think it's important to look at as a canary in the coal mine or as a leading indicator of what we're going to see happening in the rest of the country. So we will touch on GTA market trends relatively often on this show. And as well as Vancouver, the bigger markets in the more sophisticated, the more forward-looking markets in the city to try and get an understanding for what might what we might be able to see forecasting happening a couple of weeks or months later for those of you all over the country. So the easiest way to measure in the data whether or not Toronto would be seeing a spike in bidding wars is how many properties are selling over asking or what percentage of properties are selling over asking. And I just did a YouTube video on this if anybody's interested in checking it out. I'm not really big on YouTube, but I just do it for fun every now and then. You know, In the past two months, we saw less than 30% of properties sell over asking price. 
Comparatively, the last time we saw that statistic exist was in the lockdown period, the very first lockdown period. So March and April of 2020 was the last time we saw. Yeah, but that was the last time we saw less than 30% of properties in the greater Toronto area sell over asking price. And that's hard to compare. That's hard to compare because that was on, you remember the word unprecedented, how often that was being said back then? That was, those were unprecedented times. So hard to compare to what we're seeing now. But, you know, Dan, as a realtor, let me ask you this. You know, I know there's different strategies and actually we were looking at implementing one of these strategies right now where, okay, we're not seeing things go into bidding wars or sell for over asking as much as we used to. What if, like, let's say I want $900,000 for a house. Do I price it at $900,000 right now and ideally get it right there? Hey, I'm just honest. This is what I want. I'm, you know, clear cut. Or do I go in and, and start, you know, using some of those tactics? You know, I'm going to list for $699, $799, and then maybe that'll drive a bidding more because I know the house is yeah. valued. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is, are we still playing those it games? It is weird, in this right? Market? Because I would have said, you know, and and we just employed this strategy on a listing that we're working on together where we yeah. listed it at what we felt was the price that it should transact at or about you know it should transact at about 90% 98% of that list price which based on the data we're seeing in the market in you know most of ontario and i think this is kind of spreading across the country we're seeing properties on average transacting below asking price. So in the GTA, I know this statistic just because it's I have access to that data. And I'll, I'll try and get this data nationally so I can present it. Myself and Vijesh are actually working on a, a really cool report for this, this kind of data nationally. But basically, on average, properties are selling at 98% of asking price. So on average, we know that properties are selling below asking price. So I assumed that it would make sense to list the property at a realistic price expectation and leave a little bit of room for negotiation, especially because we're seeing almost 100% of offers coming in today with conditions because lenders are expecting buyers to buy with financing conditions. They're expecting to have the opportunity to appraise. They're expecting to be able to underwrite the property. And so usually when there's a condition in, people aren't going in significantly over asking. Now, what happened was something's changed. Obviously, the dynamic has shifted and price discovery isn't really happening in an efficient way. So I think because for the past two years, because basically since that lockdown period that I mentioned, the market has been selling at more than 50% of the properties were selling over asking price. Buyers don't know what the asking price means. It's like a suggestion or it's like a starting price. And so this is, I kind of predicted this happening a couple of months ago. I said, you know, that, that the downward price discovery was going to be really painful in the Canadian market because we don't really, ha- we have this very arbitrary pricing strategy or marketing strategy. So I think it would vary on a deal by deal basis, but I think we're learning with our Hamilton deal that it's likely going to end up being an underpricing thing that will, at least with underpricing. And here's the thing I don't let necessarily like underpricing because I think that you are refusing to do your job and value the property properly and then you are expecting the market to do that for you and then you're underpricing and so you're wasting a bunch of people's time basically if 10 people go and see the property only one of those people is going to buy it if 10 people offer on the property you've wasted the time of nine people and their realtors just for one person to get the property but it is a good way to find out the true value of something and if you look at australia as an example i mean they have a relatively their market's just as unaffordable as ours so it doesn't solve affordability but they have an efficient auction system and it actually 
it controls for it's an open bid and it it controls for a lot of these losses. Yeah, no, I mean, really interesting stuff. I also think it speaks to the sentiment of where the market is right now, you know. And another interesting fact just on that specific deal we're talking about, we priced it what we thought was fair market value. If you actually look it up on House Sigma, it's priced a hundred is valued a hundred thousand dollars over. And then if you look at I can't remember, it was either maybe it might have been Zolo, but it was and then it's priced I think 30, 40 grand under. So really kind of going back to that coin, we've that term, sorry, we've coined a couple of times, kangaroo market. Anyway, let's move on to this next article here. So this has been a site, a construction site that I've kind of held near and dear to my heart for a long time. Well over a decade ago, I helped build one of the first towers out in this area, kind of Etobicoke, right on the water in just outside of Toronto in an area called Humber Bay. For those of you who are not familiar with the site, it used to be the site of Mr. Christie's Cookies. So every time you drove by there, it smelled absolutely delicious. Obviously, that manufacturing has vacated that site as the land has become extraordinarily valuable and there has been many revisions of this master planned phased out development. So earlier this month, the developer First Capital submitted even more revisions for the multi-building proposal that's located right at Lakeshore and Parkland. And according to these proposals detailed, the developer is now seeking to build more park space new daycare facilities, and various other community uses on the site. The developer initially submitted a master plan to the former Mr. Christie site all the way back in 2019 with the vision to build 7,500 new residential units spread out from five, six different towers, a retail space, a one-acre park, and all at the Park Lawn Go Station. So that is the main hub of transportation in and out of the area. You can be right downtown in the central business district in Toronto within 10, 15 minutes from there. Later in spring of 2022, another revised proposal was sent to the city with more expansion and now the addition of a bigger pedestrian plaza and even two elementary schools fronting the park. Now in this third revision, the developer has added updates that reflect recommendations put forth by the public and also other various Toronto city departments. Now, so according to the latest revision, we see key elements in the master plan, including the introduction of new local street of a new local street wet network, a relief road, integrated transit, and a centered hub all around the GO station. So what am I getting at? Why am I telling everyone all about this site where there's a couple new condos going? Well, it's pretty important. There's 6.2 million square feet of residential gross floor area and over 7,500 new residences coming to that neighborhood. So other major developments that we've seen across Canada and specifically in Toronto, let's say such as City Place, which at the time was the largest master plan community in the country, and all the proposed master planning and construction for the Lower East Side of Toronto, it is good to know this kind of stuff. You know, regardless of the area that you're investing in, I mean, again, we talk about Toronto because the, the information is accessible. It's, you know, they're big projects and it's easy to contextualize because it is a very popular investment market. But, you know, you could scale this to any city and we're going to talk about a couple of different areas, but like Halifax as an example, there are two major projects happening there. And, and often, you know, if you're an investor, look to what other investors are doing for guidance on what can be done in the in that municipality, but also what what should be done or what's yielding a good result. So 
in Halifax, the Penhorn Mall site, which is, I think it's done by a REIT. I believe it's Crombie. Um, I'm going to check here. Uh, Clayton Developments and Crombie REIT. They basically have a huge mall. And, and we're seeing this in, in Ontario, but, but across the country. This would be a good context as to why thinking about urban planning is so important. Areas around shopping malls. Shopping malls are enclosed malls are very much becoming the new urban core. So in Ontario, we have Vaughan Metropolitan Center, which is built around a couple of malls, a transit stop. In Newmarket, Ontario, as an example, an old Oxford shopping mall is is having high rise development focused around it. So you have that shopping, that existing shopping infrastructure where you're at, all you're adding is people, the walkability there, rather than having to depend on the addition of new infrastructure. You're trying to leverage existing infrastructure for all of those new residents to be added to. So this mall in Halifax, Penhorn Mall site, would be a good example of that, where it's multiple blocks, 900 residential units and 45 townhouse units would be built within eight new development blocks off of Portland Street in Dartmouth. And another example in Halifax this is another massive one. And, and these these large-scale projects are important to think about because they're going to bring people to these areas. So you know, if you're bullish on on that location... And you're saying, oh, wow, that, that area is is going to have a huge influx of people. Like this Cogsworth site, I believe has... Let me just check the number here. But it's like the site's almost approved. If you Google it, they actually have videos up and a bunch of information. Um, 16 acres of site that's going to be developed here. 122 million project size. And it's going to bring 25... 100 people to the area. So again, like you'll hear people making business decisions of, I want to open a retail store in that area because I now know I don't have a market of a small village that's being added to this area. You know, that, you know, if you're a small grocer, as an example, business decisions get made based on, this is like the only industry where in, insider trading isn't just legal, it's actively encouraged, right? And, and, but it's, you know, <laughs> and, but that. that's the yes. thing. Like people are, the writing is on the wall here. Municip- as municipalities are approving projects like this, you're being given guidance as to where you can put your dollars for, you know, for exposure to that development for upside. A lot of people, they'll leave it with this and I'll hand it off to you. When I used to sell a lot of residential homes, people would, you know, everybody wants to buy a house that backs onto a farmer's field. And they're like, oh, well, what happens if that farmer's field gets redeveloped? And I would say, if that farmer's field is redeveloped, then your house is going to be worth a lot more than it was today. (laughs) Totally true. Love that. You know, just to name a few other examples, Markham, they've got 450,000 square foot of new condos going up right beside the GO station. Just like Dan said, if you're, you know, guess who's going to open a laundromat there and never not be busy, right? Open up a little restaurant there. Buy a property in and around that location and your value will go up. This is, goes back to that meeting I forgot about that we had this morning where, you know, we were talking about to these guys about the location of their properties and mentioning some major developments that are going up around them that are only going to help them and help their effort to improve density and to force appreciation. So, what does all this have to do with being a real estate investor? Again, it goes back to that knowledge. If you can figure out, hey, there are, you know, the municipal government spending $80 million on highway repairs to make sure that X, you know, place has better access, that's probably a good thing. If they're putting up a new condo a couple blocks away from a property you just bought, that's probably a good thing. So all the stuff's available online. It's pretty fun as well as interesting, in my opinion, to see where this is going and where money's being spent. So you know, once you figure out the basics, this is the uh, this is the kind of stuff you should be learning. Dan, what's the next article we're talking about? So, here? the next article is actually from a Substack of somebody that I follow on Twitter. Not necessarily an article, but I really like this one. 
Well, this is yeah, an, an off-market, off-market article. article. I, and you know what? This is a free Substack. <laughs> I actually messaged the writer of this article today and I said, how are you still not charging for your article? So for all of those listening, get it while it's still free. So the headline reads, Canada's population growth is setting new records with new ones likely ahead. And this is really interesting to me. We just saw the largest growth in Canadian population, largest percentage growth in Canadian population since the addition of an entire province, the province of Newfoundland, in when they were added to the Confederation of Canada in 1949. So there's literally a chart that shows this huge spike in Newfoundland. And then right after that, the baby boom happened. And then what just happened statistically, and we're going to explain why this isn't maybe like, it's not just like, oh, Canada's population is exploding, like so bullish, like it's, you know, we're catching up from COVID. But we just hit a population growth record of 700,000 people was the immigration statistic that was published this week. So 703,000 people. And that's 700,000 in this year? Yeah, so that was the Q2 2022 statistic. Yeah, so there's a couple of different things. So it is a bit skewed because we did see record amounts of non-permanent residents. So over 200,000 students and temporary workers. So, you know, universities were opening back up like post-COVID. I've been in a couple of Canadian downtowns since September and it does, you can visibly feel the student population being present there. But also job vacancies being filled by temporary workers because basically we can't hire enough people in Canada. So it was the largest year-over-year increase since 1989 and the only larger percentage of the entire Canadian population was from when Newfoundland was added to Confederation in 1949. So again, yeah. So we just added another Newfoundland. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Newfoundland. Um, But it it is, it is crazy. I mean, (laughs) you know, we, like you just added basically a, a small Canadian city to the, to the Canadian population. And we talk a lot about the macro factors and the micro factors that are happening in the Canadian real estate market. People like speculating on Canadian real estate because there's this arbitrage that, There are more people who want to live in Canada than there are houses available in Canada. And I would maintain that that trend will continue to be true, regardless of how you feel about Canada politically, geopolitically, whatever's happening in the world, it just seems to perpetuate. And we're good at attracting... You see it in the US. The US is really good at attracting top talent. Canada is really good at attracting people from the university system, coming to look for a better a better quality of life, whatever it is. I mean, they're certainly not coming here looking for affordability, housing affordability in, in Canada's major cities. But to me, this is a long-term bullish trend. This is a, one of the long-term bullish components to the Canadian macro, where basically we're going to continue adding people. Canada's population in urban areas is going to continue to grow and you will likely always be able to find tenants and you will likely always be able to find buyers for your property. So you will, you know, as long as demand is higher than supply, we should see and appreciate in the fullness of time. I'm not saying prices are going up starting tomorrow, by the way, after this counter cyclical event, after we've experienced a significant amount of pain as a result of interest rates increasing for the foreseeable future, which is going to be the segue to the final article today. I am long-term bullish on the recovery of Canadian real estate, but we do have to go through a correction. We have to return to that mean and then we can grow at that. We have a good mean growth. Our average growth, I think you quoted in an earlier episode at like 6.11%. Is that right? 
yeah. since like 1984. Yeah. That was before, and that was before right. all the crazy like, stuff good. happened. Yeah. If you consider, yeah. you know, I mean, you're going to make six to 10% in the stock market, maybe not since 2008 when interest rates have been going down for the past, you know, everybody's thinking they can make 10 to 15%. Those days are behind us. We're not in a low credit cost world anymore. If you're, everyone's a genius because interest rates have been going down for the past decade. Well, like it's that's over. I'm sorry. And so now it's if we get back to that 6.11%, if you account for the fact that you're levered into a real estate asset, your return is pretty good. And so I would expect that we'll be able to get back to that long-term growth once we go down and return to that mean trend line. And if you're looking at certain Canadian cities, it's a long way to go to get to that average price growth, by the way. Yeah, I love that. There's probably, if you want any more information on that, go back and listen to how to decide which market to invest in. It's just a few episodes ago. We go into a lot of this stuff in detail, into provincial migration, population numbers, and you can unpack that a little more. Let's move on to the next article here. Canada is heading for a recession. Financial crisis can't be ruled out from Oxford Economics. Okay, so... Wow, breaking news. We're in a recession. You remember you heard it here first. I feel like this is old news at this point, but this article does shed some more light on it. So I'm just going to read a few clips from the article and then Dan, why don't why don't we chat about it? Canada's economy is eroding at an unusually fast rate and financial conditions are tightening. Oxford Economics, a global macro research firm, warns their recession index shows a recession is almost certain at this point. It's unlikely to be a brief one either. The central bank unable to rely on lower rates due to high inflation. At this time, they don't expect a financial crisis. Sorry, they don't expect a financial crisis, but it can no longer be officially ruled out. Quote: Our new Canada Financial Conditions Index, the FCI, shows a sharp, broad-based worsening of financial conditions, and is yet another worrying sign that the economy is still on the cusp of a recession. Quote said by Tony Stillo, the director of economics at the firm Oxford Economics. So many people are expecting the erosion to translate into rate cuts, but that does not look like an option this time around. Such a noteworthy tightening of financial conditions might normally give the Bank of Canada reason to pause its most aggressive rate heightening rate tightening campaign in decades, but the BOC is steadfast on quelling inflation preventing a wage price spiral, meaning we don't think a dovish pivot is likely, he said. And consequentially, the firm is forecasting higher rates, tighter financial conditions, despite the worsening environment. At this time, they expect another 50 basis point hike, so the overnight rate in October, bringing it to 3.75 policy rate, which would be the highest since 2008. Man, what do you have to say about that, Dan? Let's get some thoughts. I mean, I think if people are still in denial that the Canadian market is heading for a recession, I I really don't know what to say at that point. I mean, I, I just don't understand. Like, honestly, <laughs> I, I just – I talk to a lot of people who are yeah. extremely bullish regularly. You know most of the people in my industry, Nick. I was on TV a couple of days ago doing a recording with one of the most famous bulls in, in the Toronto real estate market. And, and he's a great guy. And the question was, you know, this time next year, are prices up or down from where they are? And, and you know, there's a variety of ways where they can spin the narrative that prices are going to go up. I mean, I think the only bull case left for Canadian real estate is from the price side, 
of prices going up is inflation. That it would be an inflation-induced growth, and that you know, and and I, don't get me wrong, like that could eventually happen, and it could even the inflation hedge could really kick in because construction costs don't get deflationary or whatever it is. But I would say that the Bank of Canada, and this is to quote somebody. To quote John Love of Kingset, who's like, you know, one of the biggest, he's the god of Canadian real estate, really, to be honest with you. He said, you know, the Bank of Canada had a dinner with him, you know, and a bunch of other people last week or whatever. And, and he was like, the Bank of Canada is committed to creating a hard landing scenario because that's what's necessary right now. We have, and, and you'll hear them look, don't get me wrong, what Tiff Macklem said two years ago, where that interest rates were going to be low for a long time, was completely irresponsible. Completely irresponsible. But they've walked it back so many times since then. And they've made it so clear to people what they're trying to do. They need to fill job vacancies. They need to create unemployment. Right? There are a lot of things that they need to do. They need to control inflation. There are a lot of metrics that they there are a lot of boxes that they need to check before we're ever going to see rates come down again, or even if we're ever going to see rates stop going up. And we've also seen the Federal Reserve talking about continuing to hike so as well as other central banks across the world right so i was yeah, sorry perfect segue into the last article here which is you just mentioned our good old friend breakfast at tiffany's here why don't you read a couple exits from this and we'll we'll close it out by talking about what to do as an investor yeah in this so environment basically the article headline reads boc's macklem more interest rates are warranted the article comes from canadian mortgage trends Having already raised interest rates by 300 basis points this year, the Bank of Canada's Tiff Mackham confirmed on Thursday that additional rate hikes in plural form are warranted. In a prepared speech, Ugh. yeah. Warranted just sounds like right. a threatening but, word. But, you know, like they're, <laughs> they're becoming much more careful about their language and they're putting out more and more press releases to try and make it clear to Canadians. It's especially funny because, you know, right now there's actually, there's literally a protest going on that was just covered by the CBC. Like the national news is covering this homeowners basically protesting rate hikes. And it's funny because Justice Queen on Twitter, I sent you a, a tweet from Justice Queen, who's like one of my favorite followers on Twitter. Her handle is RE underscore Market Watch, I believe. And she actually went through and got every protester's name and figured out what they did as a profession. And they were all, it was like 80% realtors or mortgage agents who were at this protest. Oh, so, God. Uh, right. Does right. Not look good. So, look, I mean- it sucks, guys. That's the point. It has to happen. It's a necessary evil. You can't have house prices going up 30% year over year. It just If that ends up being the case, then you look at the inflation that we're happening. And we don't know how bad a hyperinflationary or an extremely inflationary economy looks. There's a reason for that. It's because it's really bad and they avoid it at all costs. And so- We do not want to get there. And you like you're looking at it happening in Turkey. You're looking at it happening in Venezuela. I believe. I think we've seen. You know, the Weimar Republic would be one of the. That's where you see those famous pictures of people literally running out of the banks with wheelbarrows full of cash. You don't want that to happen to your country. It's like you know, it would be the worst outcome. And so they're getting extremely serious about controlling inflation. And in order to get there, historically, if you look at it, eventually the inflation rate has to meet interest rate. And right now, there's a big gap. You can go look at those two numbers. They're very publicly available. Inflation and interest were still net negative rates. And so, what Tiff Macklem said, when combined with still elevated near-term inflation expectations, the clear implication is that further interest rate increases are warranted, he said. Simply put, there is more to be done. Additionally, he said, labor conditions remain very tight, wage growth is rising, and the economy remains in excess demand. We just talked about that for housing. Excess demand means prices of stuff is going to go up. 
look, a lot of Canadians are already feeling the stress. They're already feeling the pressure. And if we end up, we stay in the state of excess demand, it puts too much financial stress on Canadian households. So what we need to do, yeah, I mean, it's going to hurt people on the way down, but it's better to get back down to earth than to stay where we are because you're just going to keep going higher and higher and higher. And eventually when you go back down to earth, it's too far of a fall. We will need additional information before we consider moving to a more finely balanced decision by decision approach, he said. The hawkish nature of this speech affirms our expectations that another large move, i.e. greater than 25 bips on October 26, looks to be in the offering, noted economist from National Bank of Canada. The tone here would presumably be consistent with continued tightening in December, where we could see the policy rate at no less than 4%. And we know that from the FOMC prediction, Fed funds rate is predicted to be at 4%. Canada is going to stay close to them. Yeah. I mean, look, that was the article I put in there. I read it. It was, it's a tough read. You know, it's a tough read knowing the future to a certain extent, especially after the future that we thought we were going to get is so drastically different. So, you know, it's really in these times to, Buckle down and, you know, take a lot of the advice that we've said in multiple other podcasts, right? Put together great packages, really focus on the information, learn about the property, make sure your assets, your existing assets are, are performing as well as they can be, right? Implement those strategies like rental wash that we spoke about. But before we do that, Dan, let's just, I want to just kind of quickly do a bit of a recap and, and kind of close out on on what this all means for investors. So we looked at, you know, the bidding war BS that's kind of not happening, what happening in Toronto and, and what that means for the market and the sentiment. We looked at major developments across the country and why those are important to small cap and retail investors. Pretty good news about the population growing at record highs with your off-market juicy article there. And, you know, to close it off, we're going to see more rate hikes. So I'll just go quick rapid fire on my points for each of those. You know, the bidding wars, I think that plays more to sentiment than not. And I think that means people are still confused. As far as Mr. Christie, his cookies were delicious, but the development is probably going to be even more delicious. And I am a huge fan of major developments. I follow them closely across the country. I'd recommend others do the same, whether it be commercial, industrial, civil, you know, building a new hospital in your neighborhood is pretty damn important yeah, I think, as well. You know, large scale projects of this nature really indicate more to me that we are seeing a, a handing over of the investment assets in Canada towards more institutionalized players. And as you start to see an institutionalization of real estate in, you know, I mean, we talked about this in episode one, you go through these phases where institutions start to play a lot, a much bigger role. And you go to you go to Europe where, you know, the majority of rental stock is owned by institutions. Your goal as an investor is to get in to that institutional, you know, playing field. You want to start amassing because it gradually the way this ends is we end up with a renter's economy. I don't say that like as a political statement, but it's how all late stage capitalistic housing economies work. Go look at most of Europe. Home ownership rates are on decline and home ownership is a very suburban, multi-generational thing. So take the next one. I think it was... Yeah. I mean, the the population stuff, I mean, that's good news, right? We had to throw a little bit of good news in although, here too. So although that, it is great. funny because you know a lot of people want to say, oh, prices can't go down. They're done. The price declines are over. Well, look, go back to that exact chart that I referenced in that and in that article. If you look at it, 
the biggest year-over-year growth since 1989. Well, what happened in 1989? Was prices going up in 1989? No, that was the, the last peak of basically what took until 2002 to recover. So immigration can continue happening. Look, the price of homes is measured in dollars, not people. So credit availability and capital flows matter. Exactly. And that's another good segue into the last point, which is we are most definitely going to see more rate hikes, whether it's 50, 75, or another full point by the end of the year. So don't use the immigration and population growth as you know the get out of jail free card because you can't ignore the interest rate hikes. So what does this all mean for investors? It means pay attention to the infrastructure and major projects being built around you and in your area. Maybe go and invest Maybe that's a leading indicated factor, right? Go and find where major projects are happening and buy in and around those spots. That's what those guys that we met with did this morning. I think that's probably it for me. You know, As far as rate hikes go, my only comment is we've been talking about this for a while. I think we've been prepping for this for a while. If you're a new listener, go back and, and listen. You know, It's not an easy conversation, everybody. Like We're not going to sit here and tell you that it's going to get easier and it's going to yeah. be okay. It's not. Definitely not. You know, Dan and I are both... We're, you know, our portfolios are both. Yeah. Suffering. And I think, you know, I just went through it on a closing. I had the opportunity. I was with a, an A lender and basically had a opportunity to go. My ratios were off by like 0.2% and they wanted me to go variable side. And I was like, look, guys, variable is at 4.8 or something. And the fix is at just over 5%. And I was like, by the time I make my first mortgage payment, my variable will be high. I believe my variable yeah. will be higher than my fix. So you're really going to tell me that this this deal isn't going to work? You're going to put. You're literally putting me in the higher interest rate by putting me in the variable. So the spreads right now between fixed and variable are getting more compelling to go to the fixed side. So pay attention to your mortgages on both the fixed and variable on the spread side. The spreads between the A and B side are becoming more compelling. So you know it's never been a good time, better time to build a good relationship with a B side lender. I just think that the awareness is becoming more important. Take that all into account in your underwriting. Find good deals. Find good evergreen deals. If you can find deals that are going to weather this market and maybe factor in that Fed funds rate of 4%, if you're modeling your deals at 6 or 7%, you're not going to lose in the fullness of time, right? Love that. I think that's it for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Dan and I truly appreciate this, guys. We're hitting some pretty awesome milestones. I think today we'll hit 80,000 total downloads across the country. So a very, very sincere and heartfelt thank you for all the support. Honestly, it's surreal to both of us. And I think we have our dates set for the the first two events that we're going to have. So we're going to have in-person meetups. I think we have an Edmonton little franchise starting for meetups and we have a Toronto one starting. So Toronto, I think January 21st, Edmonton, we're aiming for sometime before Christmas. I will get back to you guys on exactly what that date is. But if you're interested in going up, showing up as a panelist, sponsoring one of these events, helping out with one of these events in any way, reach out to us, send me a DM, send us an email to the show and we'll go from there. The Canadian Real Estate Investor is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317, and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.